Hey there, folks. This is Screen Watching. My name's Dan Barrett. I'll be joined in just a moment by Simon Foster. You're familiar with the podcast by this point. I'm sure everybody's talking about it. The premise of it's quite simple. We watch a whole bunch of movies. We watch a whole bunch of TV shows. We discuss them. The idea is you hear one of our conversations say, you know what, maybe that's a show I want to check out. Maybe not. This is basically up for you. We're putting the information out there for you to pick and choose what you need. On the show this week, I'm going to take a look at the big new HBO drama. It's a spinoff from The Suicide Squad. It's called Peacemaker. I'm also going to take a gander at the new George Clooney-directed film, The Tender Bar, starring one Ben Affleck. Simon, what are you talking about this week? Well, I'm very excited to be talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, the long-overdue follow-up to the 1984 classic, and MacGruber, the long-overdue follow-up to the 2010 classic. It's on uh, It's on stand as we speak. Lots to get through this week. Wow. If you want to hear all that and more liberal uses of the word classic, stay tuned. This is not like TV only battle. Television! Teacher! Mother! Secret lover. What? That's it? That's your movie? Well, I said that I had an idea for a movie. Folks, this is Screen Watching. I'm Dan Barrett. I'm your Fit as a Fiddle co-host. And joining me is Simon Foster, who... Quite frankly, I didn't expect you to still be alive at this point of the week, Simon. Uh, well, uh, as anyone who knows me and as anyone who'll listen over the last week, I've uh, been telling everyone I've got the Omicron bug. Yes, I am officially a COVID case. Um, you should have seen me twixt Monday and Wednesday this week, Dan Barrett. I was, <coughs> I was barely human. Um, and uh, it's been a mess of a week. I've been able to catch up with a whole lot of movies filling gaps in my 30-year film-watching schedule. But, uh, you know, I'd never seen Puberty Blues, the Bruce Beresford film from the early 80s. I caught up with that this really? week. It's, it's quite good. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it is very good. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'll do what I can to push through this this uh, podcast. Um, but, boy, this Omicron, gee, it can knock you about. Now, do you know for sure it's Omicron? It's not, you know, like a Delta or like an OG? Well, I can only go by what the uh, first, the rat test that I took here in my home confirmed, and then the uh, PCR test, um, which I had to queue for three hours on a very hot Sunday afternoon in my car to have taken, all confirmed positive. You know, that's an interesting question. I, looking back at the test results, I don't know whether they actually said your COVID is Omicron and stay inside. I'm assuming it is, but it's, yeah the other ones have much worse symptoms but um boy the worst flu you've mm. ever had times it by two and that's what i've had the last few days so just loving it send your sympathies to me care of this podcast now we are recording this podcast online and usually i see a video feed of you and every week i look at you and think you know what this is an adonis like of brad pitt levels but right now i'm a little bit concerned that maybe you're sort of a little less brad pitt and you're maybe more say looking like the star of a certain film called sideways uh, yes, for the first time in our nearly year-long history of this podcast, we are doing a video-free pre-record. I can see you, and I'm grateful for that in many ways, um, but you can't see me. And yes, if you could imagine, you know the, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man at the end of Ghostbusters? That's kind of what I look like right <laughs> sure. now. It's kind of what I look like okay. right now, and it's fairly unpleasant. This humidity isn't helping. Boy, do I sound like a whingy old sick man or what? But it's um, yeah, it's been a fun week. So you're less Paul Giamatti and more a big, snotty, stay path marshmallow exactly man. Right. And then you've got to add Omicron to that too, which is just terrible. Hello, hello. Okay, hello. look, Simon, here's enough of the shenanigans. Let's get on with the reviews. It stinks. And we've talked about Ghostbusters. Let's land there. What do you 
doing here in Somerville anyway? We're completely broke, and our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. You went with the station wagon? It's the only one that had an engine. The 1984 comedy Ghostbusters was the perfect storm of comedy chemistry that only audiences of the day could have experienced and remains for so many of us a once-in-a-lifetime movie. Bill Murray delivered the perfectly pitched performance of a persona he had primed audiences for in Meatballs and Stripes. Dan Aykroyd was a star, but this role felt the most personal he had ever played, and Harold Ramis was the perfect foil, the support player who threatened to steal the movie with every scene which is why every attempt to recapture that magic has fallen short. Sometimes the films are underbaked, like the ill-conceived sequel, Ghostbusters 2, or they are fine in their own right, but pale by comparison, like Paul Feig's 2016 all-female version. Of the subsequent films, Ghostbusters Afterlife represents the closest ties so far to the original, with director Jason Reitman replacing his dad Ivan, the themes of legacy and family are in place, and they extend into the narrative which sees the grandkids of Ramus's Egon Spengler inheriting their late grandpa's old homestead in middle America. Mum Carrie Coon can't quite get things right for her kids. Uh, the soon-to-be-his-own-man Trevor, played by Finn Wolfhard, and nerdy science boffin Phoebe, played by McKenna Grace. But there are secrets afoot in Grandpa Egon's old shack, and soon Grace, who most encapsulates her granddad's inquisitive, matter-of-fact approach to the unexplainable, is on the case. Reitman Jr. has the directing chops to bring all the key elements together, the special effects, the family drama beats, the gentle laughs, and without a Rick Moranis subplot to up the giggles, they are gentle. He has an ace in the hole in McKenna Grace, unrecognisable in Egon S. Curls, but like Murray in 1984, every bit the star of a movie with a strong ensemble. Also immensely likeable are Paul Rudd, who brings his reliable ruddiness to the part of the small-town teacher love interest, and cute as a button Logan Kim as Phoebe's offsider podcast. It also falls to Reitman and co-writer Gil Keenan to navigate the nostalgia factor, and this is perhaps their greatest achievement. In Ghostbusters Afterlife, they honour the spirit, no pun intended, of camaraderie, that define the original while still weaving it into a contemporary action comedy. The reintroduction of faves such as Ecto-1 or the reworking of iconic moments such as the reveal of the Slimer-inspired Muncher show that for the first time in the franchise's patchy history, creative decisions are being made with heart by those connected to the essential magic of that first film and not those with quarterly earnings on the agenda. So I loved Ghostbusters Afterlife. It impacted me as a fan of the first film um, and someone who considers the first film so important, as I've stated. But Dan, I know you weren't such a big fan. So yes, Simon, we did go and see this together and it was a fun experience seeing it with you because I knew minutes into the, into the movie that it would be absolutely your bag. And for the most part, I enjoyed it as well. So... There's a thing with Ghostbusters where we had the original Ghostbusters, then there's Ghostbusters 2, which quite frankly isn't very good at all. There's a few moments and watching it as a, what, I've been about a 10-year-old kid when that came out. Uh, like, I've got a lot of kid nostalgia for that movie, but I don't think it's a particularly good movie. And then the Lady Ghostbusters film of 2015, 2016 came out, and I reckon that's kind of terrible. And my thought with Ghostbusters was always that 
what made Ghostbusters great wasn't the premise of the movie. It wasn't the uh, like bombast of the movie. It was really that there's a comedic moment in time that the original Ghostbusters was playing up to, which was this trend in comedy movies at the time, where it was about sort of sticking it to the man. And we saw a lot of great examples of that. So from pretty much from the same crew, really. So you're looking at, say, films like Stripes and then, uh, I mean, Caddyshack and, uh, you know, Animal House. Like it's all very much of a part of that scene of movies. But by the time you hit Ghostbusters 2, that type of comedy had been well and truly on the way out. Like the comedy stars of the late 70s going into the mid to late-ish 80s, like they were all sort of, had sort of itchy feet. They're off to do sort of, you know, their dramatic projects. And, you know, it just, that vibe of comedy wasn't really quite there. So when the second sequel came along, which was, what, six years after the original, it just kind of felt a little bit old hat and nobody's hearts really seemed to be in it and the audience weren't really quite there for that. And then they try recreating it with the Ghostbusters uh, with the all-female cast and none of the comedians really had anything specific to say other than we want to do a female version of Ghostbusters and that's just not really quite enough and the jokes didn't really quite work in the same way that Ghostbusters 2 jokes didn't really quite work. It just, it just wasn't quite there. So you kind of need a reason to exist with these movies. And I kind of thought with Afterlife, there was kind of a reason to exist with this one. You've got the director of the, like the son of the director of the original film, who's the director of this one. And he's bringing sort of a very sort of strong family connection to it. And with that, he's not trying to recreate Ghostbusters as we saw it. He's creating it through the lens of his experience with Ghost, Ghostbusters. It's very much a family-driven enterprise story. It's very much about um, rose-colored glasses of what Ghostbusters is. And he brings that to the screen. And while, yes, I think that's a reason to exist, doesn't necessarily make for a good movie, I'm not as convinced as you are that it does. So I wasn't bored by the movie, and I like that he embraced the spirit of 80s filmmaking through it a bit more. It felt a bit more substantial than you see as a lot of blockbuster movies these days. Like, there was a lot of heart and soul and connect, like, you could actually tangibly connect with this movie. I really enjoyed that aspect to it. But by the end where you've got the return of a cast member who probably shouldn't be making a return in this movie, uh, like, I don't know, it started to feel a little bit creepy and the film started feeling really creaky at that point. And I was prepared to get off that boat midway through the film. Okay, so there's plenty to see. We've certainly been waiting a long time for it. It's um, It's been a couple of years since they completed it. It's been interesting to watch McKenna Grace do the uh, do the publicity tour because in the film she's a little curly-haired moppet and in real life she's now this sort of young blonde woman of a very different age. So, yeah, it's been a while since they wrapped. She's now in her mid-60s with a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of her mouth. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays because it's it's done fair to middling business, I think, in the in the US and, and around the world. How it'll open here in the middle of a pandemic, it's going to be hard to judge. But um, certainly, certainly the, the old-timey fans will like it. Now, Simon, I want to maybe move on to something which is a little bit more new with a bit of spit and polish on it. It's a TV series called Peacemaker. Sweet Cheeks, can you take my order real quick? Seriously, dude. She had cherubic cheeks. It's a continent. Sweet Cheeks is your butt. No, it's not. It is. It's like calling somebody, I don't know, sugar tits. Totally inappropriate. The quickest way to describe the new DC Comics-inspired TV show Peacemaker is to call it superhero jackass. That is to say, this is a DC Comics show that features all sorts of bad language, remarkable graphic nudity, and a whole heap of brutally hilarious violence. It's cheeky edgelord business aimed at the 13-year-old boy and all of us, and it's a goddamn hoot. This new show is a spin-off from the 2021 film The Suicide Squad. That was a dirtbag superhero film that was laugh-out-loud funny and thoroughly charming. Many people never saw that film, either because they saw the previous terrible Suicide Squad movie, 
or they were in part of the world that was facing COVID-related lockdowns when the new film got released. If you haven't seen that film, you're given enough information to skate by with this show, but do check out the movie if you are into this kind of thing. It's great fun. John Cena here is the titular peacemaker, real name Christopher Smith. He's an unrepentant asshole serial killer who's reluctantly working with a team of off-the-book government operatives with a project. Both he and the government team are cartoonish, with action scenes ranging in scope from hyper-brutal to Looney Tunes hyper-brutality. John Cena was a scene-stealer in the Suicide Squad, and he carries the show really well here. I've never been sold on John Cena comedy star, but this is a really good use of him and all the ridiculous actual muscle that he brings to the screen. The show's also got a solid supporting cast that includes the comedian Steve Agee, Terminator's Who's Robert Patrick, Pitch Perfect's Freddie Stromer, and then there's Danielle Brooks, who steals the entire season as the new team member who's got a connection to a certain someone from the Suicide Squad movie, movies and books. Brooks, folks will probably remember as playing Tasty in Orange is the New Black, and here she's incredibly winning as an everyday person thrust into the insanity of the show. But the MVP cast member is Peacemaker's CGI pet American Eagle. And just try and tell me you're not won over entirely by an early scene in the series where Peacemaker's reunited with his pet with a loving embrace. It's a really, 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 really dumb moment, and I loved it to bits. Like with The Suicide Squad, the show is written and directed by James Gunn. He writes every episode of the show and directs the first five episodes. When he was announced as the writer-director of the Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel, that seemed like a bit of a strange fit. After all, wasn't Gunn just a little bit too edgy for the MCU? Having seen his films Super and Slither, and some of his earlier work with the Schlock Kings over at Troma, it seemed like he was sanding down his edges to fit in with the Marvel crowd. And while, yes, the Guardian films were distinctive in their own way, Peacemaker feels like James Gunn let free to be his best James Gunn. This lives up to the promise of what James Gunn can deliver with these sorts of big IP-driven properties. It's actually kind of disappointing to know he's heading back to do more Guardians of the Galaxy after this. Peacemaker, it's brash, immature nonsense. It's an exercise in rudeness, crudity, and is mostly a whole lot of big dick waving at the audience. It's fucking great. So Simon Foster, do you think you're likely to check out the show? Oh, I certainly am. Um, Gunn's involvement is a, is a big deal for me. I'm a fan of his off-the-cuff and off-the-wall uh, dirty humour. And everything you say about it being such a, a, a ribald adventure um, and seeing John Cena play with his persona and um, is, a, is a plus for me as well. I think when the action heroes start making a little bit of fun of themselves, it's uh, it's always fun to watch. So yeah, I'll be checking out Peacemaker for sure. Look, absolutely. And if people aren't going wild for the opening title sequence in the series, like I just don't know what's with the world anymore. Like it's incredible. But speaking of crudity in the name of comedy, uh, I checked out all eight episodes of the new Paramount Plus in the US stand in Australia series, MacGruber. We need you, MacGruber. Why me? You were specifically requested. Mac, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a suicide mission. Who let the dog out? My country has invited me to die for it, and I RSVP'd yes, queen. Uncle Sam tells you to jump and you go get your jumping shoes. Classic MacGruber. Will Forte's adorably idiotic action hero caricature MacGruber was unlikely to be the breakout Saturday Night Live cinematic franchise starter that Wayne and Garth were back in the day, as writer and co-creator Jorma Takone 
pointed out when producer Lorne Michaels asked for a feature film based on the SNL mini-adventures that first aired in 2007, MacGruber is a, quote, deeply flawed, painfully narcissistic character, and that's not easy to build a comedy movie around. Now, in 2010, the MacGruber team, which is Forte and Takone and a pre-Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig and the straight man ring-in Ryan Felipe, uh, they released the brilliant first film, which no one saw. I saw it. I loved it. But which has since taken on a, a cult life of its own. In this era of, of everything old is new again TV programming, that's enough to warrant the commissioning of eight half-hour installments that essentially provide the sequel that fans like me always hoped would emerge. Now, the events that round out the 2010 feature lead straight into the new narrative. Ten years in maximum security prison has hardened MacGruber, uh, perhaps damaged him irreparably. He is called upon by General Barrett for Seuss, Lawrence Fishburne, to take on a, a suicide mission to save the U.S. president's daughter. Now, MacGruber reunites with his fractured team, Vicky St. Elmo, played by Wig, and Dixon Piper, played by Philippe, to face off with his mortal foe, Brigadier Commander Enos Queeth, played by Billy Zane and his uh, rogues gallery of fiendish foes. Now, MacGruber also wrestles with the fact that Vicky, his former lover, has been remarried to Fasus. Um, Sam Elliott makes an appearance as MacGruber's father, a role played by the original MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson, in some Pepsi ads a while back. Um, this is all a very basic framework for lots of crude put-downs, jokes about putting things in one's bottom, small man bits, stuff like that. Forte and Wig elevate it to an art form. She, in particular, has some inspired moments, not least of which is her romantic ballad, Rhyme and Reason. God, I was laughing so hard. Um, look, I did find so much of this hilarious, the kind of funny that the character has had the potential to deliver all along. Forte's foray into more, I guess, dramatically weighty material in the intervening years. He was in Nebraska in 2013 opposite Bruce Stern and the Last Man on Earth series, still funny but with some darker moment. It hasn't dulled his absurdist bent. He's up for anything in this. It's putrid and it's puerile, uh, but I do challenge anyone not to giggle endlessly. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus in the US and Stan here in Australia. Simon, I hear your enthusiasm for it, but look, back in 2010 when the MacGruber film came out, I couldn't understand why that was still doing a parody of MacGyver, a TV series from 18 years prior. The joke fell old then, and in 2021, Jesus Christ, Simon, what the fuck are they doing? I thought it was strange that he returned to the role after so many years away, but in this era of everything old is new again programming, it was always going to pop up. Um, there was a groundswell of support for MacGruber, even though the film was a dud. Um, MVP Kristen Wiig, she has some absolutely hilarious moments in it. Um, and Ryan Felipe is sort of the straight guy tolerating both of them is very funny as well. So it's not going to win over any new fans, but it will certainly appease the old ones. Sorry about the language. I think that Peacemaker got hold of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It, there was a bridge, as I, as I mentioned in the review. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Clearly it did. Um, yeah. There is trouble in expanding this character into a feature length um leading man type um if you go back and watch some of the snl stuff the 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 sequence he did the, the interstitial moments that he did especially one with shia labeouf is some of the funniest stuff i've ever seen on television but yeah it's hard sort of developing this into a um a, a, a sort of a long-term narrative type of character i thought it was very very funny will forte's 
I'm a big fan. Um, and Kristen Wiig, this reminds me of the silliness she's capable of when she's not sort of being the quirky indie darling that she's become in her post-bridesmaids life. But um, yeah, one definitely one for the fans, but no, it's not going to change anyone. Yeah, why is Kristen Wiig doing this? I've got no idea. Simon, let's move on. I want to talk to you about a new, actually it's a fairly sweet movie. It's called The Tender Bar. Your grandfather is a selfish old prick who resents taking care of his family. And yet, you all end up back here at my house. Welcome. Your only uncle. So I'm also your favorite uncle. Right? Sounds like some movie. <laughs> I have no idea how, but you are going to law school. So you can sue your father for child support. No, so he can help with your fines about the septic tank. No, here we go. The best way to approach any film is to go into it cold and discover the movie as it plays out in front of you. But doing that with a tender bar was a mistake. I spent the first half trying to wrap my mind around what the point of the film was, and none of the effort that I put into it made the film any more rewarding. This is the latest film from George Clooney, maybe Hollywood's most frustrating filmmaker. The good thing about Clooney behind the camera is that he always chooses smart, diverse projects. He doesn't stick to a specific lane. But, with only a few exceptions, his films almost always fall short of being great movies. They reach for greatness, but they always get lost on the way. As I came to discover about The Tender Bar, this is a film based on a young man's search for an identity. JR's raised by a single mother with an absent father who worked as a disc jockey on the radio in the 70s. Every few years he'd make an appearance into the kid's life, but for the most part he's just a disembodied voice introducing pop songs. JR does have a male role model in his life, however, He's got his uncle, who runs the local bar near their home in Long Island. Here we've got Ben Affleck playing the role of the uncle, and it's one of those really great moments where we see Affleck being cast well. He is note-perfect in this role. Partnering up Clooney with Affleck is a really strong match. I've long felt that Affleck has been best cast in films that he's written and directed himself, and so I think it'd be really interesting to see if this collaboration can yield more. I'd be very interested to see Clooney direct Affleck from one of Affleck's scripts, they seem to share a very similar sensibility. Now, where the film confused me was that maybe a third of the way into the movie, there's a shift, with the film leaping forward quite a few years to follow JR as a young man going off to Harvard as he struggles to find a sense of self in his college, romantic, and early professional settings. He's an aimless man, and the film is similarly reluctant to hold on to any one thing and tell the audience what it is that the actual film is about. Overall, the film, it's breezy, it's really likeable, and it feels so specific to a lived-in experience, it's easy to overlook elements of the film that don't quite work. It's yet another misfire from Clooney, but let's be real, even Clooney's misfires are still worth your attention. Uh, I've, he's been on a steady decline. He made such a big debut with um, con- Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and Good Night and Good Luck, and, and then he just sort of, it's been like this, he's been stepping down the steps ever since. Yeah, all of his films feel like a handsome man. Like, you sort of see him, and he looks incredibly handsome, and it looks like there'd probably be substance in there, but then the deeper in you get, the realise you're just as a bit of a vacant conversation. He's the he's the um, Sydney of of uh, international <laughs> movie stars. Just because you're pretty doesn't mean you're interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Tender Bar's playing now on Amazon Prime Video. Okay, yes, because of my ill health, because of this Omicron bug... Um, there were several big releases this week that I wasn't able to get to see, and I do apologize for that. 
also in cinemas this week is The King's Men. Now, this is the latest in the King's Men series of films. Um, it's all set in the early years of the 20th century where the Kingsman Agency uh, has been formed to stand against a cabal. I love that word, cabal. Plotting a war to wipe out millions. Uh, Matthew Vaughan's back in the director chair. Big fan of Matthew Vaughan. Kick-Ass is a great film. Um, and Ray Fiennes is up front of that one with Gemma Arterton on board as well. The other big release this week is House of Gucci. Ridley Scott's look inside the... Uh, crazy world of the gucci empire uh, lady gaga is getting all sorts of attention in her role as patrizia reggiani an outsider from humble beginnings who marries into the gucci family with an unbridled ambition that begins to unravel the family legacy boy if you want to see some overacting just check out this trailer but people are saying that it's a um a good fun ride at the movies and gaga who is up for a bunch of awards over in, in the u.s as the awards season kicks off um is a, is a sight to behold so house of gucci is in cinemas also out there is red rocket starring simon rex as this washed up porn star who uh, heads back to his small town texas home to uh try, it appears he's trying to make things right but i think he's got a secret agenda a uh, lot of buzz on this as well um it's directed by sean baker who did the fantastic tangerine and the florida project a couple of years back so probably worth checking out i'll try to see these in the next week as the omicron bug works its way through my system so um i'll bring you up to date <laughs> Each week, we like to wind out the podcast with a look at the movies and TV shows that are coming up on the week ahead. Yes, some interesting movies debuting on streaming this week, Dan Barrett. Uh, the Eternals, or Eternals, is debuting on Disney Plus on January 12, coming from its cinema run. I know we had very different points of view on this one. I quite liked it, but I know I'm in the minority. Uh, maybe check it out on the small screen. Um, Chloe Zhao directed this one. It's her first film since the Oscar-winning Nomadland. Um, I think it's worth seeing, and I thought it was a beautiful-looking film. Very different to some other sort of MCU type of movies. Uh, so it's coming to Disney Plus on January 12. Uh, a movie called The Wasteland, also known as The Beast, it's premiering on Netflix. This tells the story of a family isolated from the rest of society. By choice, they're living off the grid. They're disturbed by a terrifying creature testing the ties that bind them. Um, great trailer for this one. Spanish film. Um, but it's great to see this popping up on Netflix. It's called The Wasteland. You may also see it called The Beast. Um, and also on Netflix, uh, premiering next week, is an animated anthology called The House. This is an eccentric, dark comedy about a house and the three uh, surreal tales of the individuals who made it their home. Uh, three different animation styles. Uh, word on this is that it's a beautiful film to look at and uh, very effectively scary as well. So uh, three movies there, definitely worth checking out as they hit streaming in the weeks ahead. And there are a couple of TV shows that are worth making a quick note of. You've got the season three return of A Discovery of Witches. Uh, you've got Death in Paradise returning. You've got the return and final season of Search Party. So that's the fifth and final. Uh, what else have we got here? We've got The Righteous Gemstones returning. you got Euphoria returning for season two. Uh, Naomi, which is the new CW, uh, it's a DC Comics-ish kind of a series. And I'm pretty sure that's coming to Foxtel, if I'm not mistaken. you got Superman and Lois, which returns for season two. And then, and this comes up to next Friday, so we probably don't need to go into too much. But Peacemaker, which I reviewed during the program, does debut this coming Friday. So maybe put aside your weekend next weekend for that one. And Simon, we wind out every week by taking a look at this week in history. 
uh, in history this week, January 9, 1959, we've got the debut of Rawhide. Rawhide, yeah! Uh, with Clint Eastwood, premiered on CBS TV. January 9, 2001, you've got Apple announcing iTunes at Macworld Expo in San Francisco. January 10, 1999, a TV show called The Sopranos? Is that about opera? Sopranos. It must be a show about opera. I missed it. Uh, Debuted on HBO and Forever Changed Television, except it kind of didn't, but it also did. Uh, January 11, 1927, uh, Louis B. Mayer, the boss of MGM, he announced the creation of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and those are now the people that do the Academy Awards every year to declining audiences, as far as the eye can see. And on January 12, 1966, a TV show starring one Adam West. Adam West. It debuted on ABC. It was called Bite Man. Yes, and with birthdays this week, Dan Barrett, as I can feel my throat tightening up and the Omicron bug taking hold once again. Damn you, Omicron. Um, on January 8, 1951, a man named John McTiernan was born. If you know action films, you know John McTiernan. He directed that great Christmas movie, Die Hard. He directed Predator. He went on to direct Medicine Man. He also directed The Last Action Hero, which was uh, maybe his undoing. Many say his undoing was the prison sentence that he served for uh, some shenanigans that went on in the mid-90s involving a private eye. Uh, but he's a great director. On January 8, 1951, John McTiernan was born. January 9, 1955, J.K. Simmons um, of Spider-Man, Oscar winner for Whiplash. And if you look very carefully... He also features in uh, one of this week's films, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. But boy, does he fly by in that? You can barely notice him. Um, on January 10, 1974, Jermaine Clement, one half of the Flight of the Concords, was born in Masterton, New Zealand. On January 12, 1951, Kirstie Alley, who we all know and love from Cheers, but also made her name in one of the Star Trek films, Star Trek II, I think it was. She was born in Wichita, Kansas. And everyone's dream girl in the 90s, Julia Louise Dreyfus, star of uh, Seinfeld. Uh, she was on a season or two of SNL, and of course she went on to much greatness as uh, the lead character in Veep. Uh, she was born on January 13, 1961 in New York City. Folks, this has been screen watching. Thank you very much. Um, RIP Simon Foster, who has passed away in the middle of this podcast. He's gone, but he did pre-record a goodbye, so we'll listen to him in a moment. But anyway, my name is Dan Barrett. You can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. You should start your day with my free newsletter, Always Be Watching at alwaysbewatching.com. It's got the big stories in TV, streaming, and film. And on every Friday afternoon, I drop the Always Be Streaming newsletter into your inbox, and that recounts the big shows that launched that very week. Also, if you like this podcast, Follow Screen Watching. It's on your favorite podcast app and even some pretty shitty ones. Uh, Load it up now. Hit the follow or subscribe button, whatever your podcast app does, and the podcast will just keep on flowing on through. Yes, and I'm on the Twitter at SimonRFoster1. Read my words over at screen-space.net. Visit the Screen Watching Facebook page at Screen Watching Podcast. And also, please go to our Screen Watching YouTube channel where you can see a whole bunch of uncut interviews and fresh trailers that I put up there as often as I can. And I do apologize for my sickness this week. The Omicron bug is taking over. Do take care, everyone. Simon Foster, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed your company when you're still alive, but, you know, COVID, it takes the best of us. Folks, we'll be back next week. Well, I will be, I guess. And they made you change your name Seems to me you lived your life Like a candle in the wind Never knowing who to cling to When the rain set in 